0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative
1: truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz.
0: And welcome back, fellow American Patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight for what matters. Here at CR Podcast, this is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house for Thursday. El Stinko de Mayo. We love celebrating May 5th here at The Blaze. Uh, you know, there was a time when I thought, you know, the biggest threat was the Mexican flags rummaging through the streets. You remember those protests they used to have with illegal immigration and I was always scared of America being taken over. I'll be honest with you now. I am less worried about the Mexican government than our own government. When I used to think of threats, it was always a foreign threat, an external threat. Okay? Whether it's demographically or, you know, social transformation, Mexican government When you thought of bioterrorism post 9-11, you thought of Al-Qaeda, Hezbollah, you know, Islamic terrorists. I never thought our own government would create a virus, foist it upon us, surveil us, not just control us, but surveil us to make sure we are abiding by that so that they can go and kill us. Meaning it's not just a tyranny. It's a tyranny to ensure that we can't get proper treatment and that we do get in our bodies things that will kill us. I can't get off this issue. So today we're going to go back to some of the COVID stuff we've uh, deviated from the last couple of days. Uh, We'll have on a little bit later Dr. Meryl Nass, a doctor who has has had her license suspended for saving people, for healing people. That is a bigger pro-life issue. Yet the same Republicans that are... You know, oh, abortion, Roe, course this and that. And, and there's what to talk about. And, of course, the right perspective on it is, is what they're not talking about. But this is a much bigger issue because this is mandatory abortions. We now have Pfizer admitting we, one of the documents we see, they admit it wasn't safe for pregnant women. They did it anyway. That's a mandatory abortion that was shoved on people. You know, at the end of the day, I mean, you have funding for Planned Parenthood and abortion here and there, but nothing like for Pfizer. This is the issue of our time. And yet Republicans are on the wrong side. You know, there's an article out in South Dakota Media today that Christy Noem is defeating any member of the legislature who tried to vote against mandates, among many other things, by the way, too. They had one of the worst sessions there ever. Yet the few people who voted the right way she wants to kick out. And this is happening with all these governors. Yet we can't even get out, as we noted yesterday, Mike DeWine, who is more blatantly antagonistic to conservatives. But Christy Noam, I'm telling you, they're all like that. So don't get distracted. They'll, They'll always tantalize us with broad bromides about some of our issues, but never the right issue in the right way at the right time, and therein lies the key. So we're going to stay focused on this bioterrorism and what we can do about it, but we have to know what we're up against. Mark Twain once said it's easier to fool people than to convince them that they have been fooled, and that's part of the problem, that the worse it gets, the worse it gets, because the the more we allow this to go on and do nothing about it, the more it is both unbelievable but also emotionally disconcerting to allow your heart to believe that you've been lied about this long so you continue denying it. And we continue to be placed on political morphine, on issues that in the scheme of things don't really matter nearly as much. So we have a bunch of things to share with you as well as our guest today. Our sponsor today is Birch Gold. With all the global upheaval caused by the stupid Republicans and Democrats uh, helping perpetuate this war in Ukraine, um, the crippling sanctions on Russian trade, it has a massive ripple effect throughout the world. Food prices are soaring. Fuel prices are soaring. We have shortages everywhere. Inflation continues to skyrocket. You need to hedge against the system with gold has always been a good hedge against it. And Birch Gold has really been the most established uh, gold company. And particularly what I want to support is their ability to convert an IRA or 401k into a tax sheltered account. But rather than dumping that into the casino of the stock market, put it in gold and silver, Get started now by texting Daniel to 989898 with thousands of satisfied customers and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Birch Gold can help you protect your savings. Text Daniel to 989898 to get, a, to get a free info kit on gold like I did myself. Again, no obligation. Text Daniel to 989898 to protect your savings from our genocidal government. And uh, yeah, I wish it were just economic. But they are trying to kill us. So, this has not gotten not enough attention. Okay, so every Republican's like, oh, we like the conservative judges and the judicial supremacists and pro gun, pro life for lower taxes. And it never changes. But, Houston, we've got a problem. This is not coming from a right wing website, quite the contrary, from Vice. We didn't get a chance to get this, came out earlier this week. CDC bought access to location data harvested from tens of millions of phones in the United States to perform analysis of compliance with curfews, track patterns of people visiting K-12 schools and specifically monitoring the effectiveness of policy in the Navajo Nation. Bizarre. Um, Location data is information on devices location sourced from the phone. It could then show where a person lives, works, and where they went. Um, the documents reveal the expansive plan the CDC had last year. Uh, they basically, uh, used SafeGraph. It's a company that they paid $420,000 to access one year's worth of data. By the way, it includes Peter Thiel among its investors. I never trusted that guy. I know the MAGA movement has embraced him, but Google actually banned the company from its Play Store. Even, it was too much even for Google. But basically, they, the CDC seems to have purposely created an open-ended list of use cases which included monitoring curfews, neighbor-to-neighbor visits, visits to churches, schools and pharmacies, and also a variety of analysis with the data specifically focused on violence. And you know what that means? It doesn't mean war is peace and peace is war. Just the opposite. They don't do it. I mean, you try getting phones unlocked for terrorists, I think we had with the Pensacola Saudi jihadist, the you know, Apple refused to cooperate. That's the thing. They do it except for when you need it. Motherboard obtained the documents through a FOIA request of CDC and basically, the summary is they track patterns of those visiting K-12 schools by school and compared to 2019. They examine movement restrictions to show compliance. I mean, folks, this is China. And, and, and if this is what we found through a FOIA, you could imagine the extent of what they're really doing that we haven't yet made public. Where is the Republican outcry over this? Where is the commitment at a state level to ban this? At a federal level, with the next budget bill they'll have to sign by August uh, 31st, or I'm sorry, September 30th, for the fiscal year 2023 budget. Imagine if Republicans would have an election year government shutdown fight on this. This is the type of issue that really is an 80-20, 90-10 issue. It ropes in a lot of liberals. Not the oligarch liberals, but your average kind of run-of-the-mill liberal. They are literally locking us down, tracking us for compliance. And again, once you know this much, they're tracking every doggone thing we're doing. That is a big, big deal. That is that is terrorism. Because remember, what are they tracking us for? Compliance with pharma fascism. Well, pharma fascism is mandatory abortion. That leads me to the second story I wanted to share with you guys today. Um, the Daily Expose, the UK Daily Expose, doing great work by the way. They had an article out earlier this month, a couple weeks ago, in April. U.S. Department of Defense awarded a contract for COVID-19 research in Ukraine three months before COVID was known to even exist. Well, COVID officially started in early January 2020, kind of knew about it late December. But U.S. government data show that the DOD awarded a contract on the 12th of November 2019 to Labyrinth Global Health, Inc. for Covid nineteen research. Well, that's before any of us were told about Covid, and it was instructed to take place in Ukraine as part of a larger contract for a biological threat reduction program in Ukraine. Interesting. Okay, it's, it's straight up. You could see, you could see it. It, it literally. I mean, it's right there. It's a $369,000 grant, Labyrinth Global Health, subaward ID 196192. And it says SME manuscript documentation and COVID-19 research. That term, like, for the most part, even the first few months, they were using the term coronavirus. COVID-19, that word was in the grant on November 12th. Again, this is nothing new to you guys. I mean, we know they, they were planning this, creating it, and creating the vaccine since at least 2012. But it's right there. right? It's a U.S. government website called USA Spending. You could use it yourself. And, um, you know, they have all this stuff there. So again, this ties not just into the fact that COVID was premeditated and they knew about it, if not created it, or were involved in the creation before, not just the Chinese, but the U.S. government and U.S. companies. And remember, this is probably more of a DOD intel thing than it was an NIH thing but the fact that it also ties into the next current thing, which is Ukraine. So rather than Republicans asking and demanding answers on where did this come from, what what are we doing in Ukraine? What's with Hunter Biden? What's with the biolabs? Why are we so obsessed with Ukraine? Republicans are rushing to give Biden, maybe not the 33 billion, it might be 16 billion, they're, they're negotiating that now, And they're like, well, you know, we have no time to waste. This needs to be done immediately. So they've learned nothing from COVID. And this is literally connected to it. Same thing as last time. We need the money. The only concern they have, just like with COVID, if you remember, is the extraneous provisions. Right. So remember with COVID, remember talk radio, conservative talk radio, Fox News. Oh, my God. We're funding uh, the Kennedy Center. That was the whole fight. So they spent trillions of dollars that caused the inflation that we're experiencing to this day. No problem with that. The underwrote Pfizer and genocide, mandatory abortion, that's what I'm calling it. The clot shots, remdesivir, absolving of liability, lockdowns, masking, all the regulations. They not only blessed it, but they said, here, we're going to fund you and shield you from the blowback so you could do it without facing the voters and being, you know, facing just the economic problems that would naturally prevent you from doing it. So same thing here. Republicans' only concern is you're not doing it quickly enough and don't stick in extraneous provisions. We can't, you know, funding Ukraine is too important to, to get bogged down in other politics. I'm, I'm, I'm only slightly paraphrasing essentially what all the Republicans are saying, every one of them. They had committee hearings. They're, they're going to pass this. Yet another tranche, just like with COVID, more funding and more funding, this is just, it, it, It's sickening. And everyone's like, Daniel, we're winning. It's great. We're beating the Democrats. And even some of the better guys are like, we're beating the Rhinos. No, we're not. Where? I'm not here to demoralize you. I'm here to point to the way and say, look, this is the fight, not that's the fight, and we could win. I'm so agitated because it doesn't have to be this way. I, I'm, I'm kind of jumping around here because I'm trying to get in a lot of information before our guest, but... Just to tie in another issue here, there's a Fox News poll that just, I believe it just came out, on crime and public safety. And they asked voters, they asked them, what do you think is more likely to decrease gun violence? This is a good poll. It doesn't say crime, it says gun violence, That's a term the left uses. Tighter restrictions on people buying and owning guns, or tougher penalties on those who commit crimes with guns. Tougher penalties on crime won out 54 to 33. Yet for years, Republicans not only avoided that, but they joined with the left, saying we need new we need deincarceration, Weaker penalties. The day that they passed the forerunner to that first step act, which Trump and Kushner supported. Do you know in the Senate Judiciary Committee, they passed that on the date of Parkland. So when Democrats were you know, juicing people up on guns and, and, and they were actually winning on that, not really, but you know Republicans didn't pass a single uh, uh, you know, right to carry reciprocity bill or something like that with their trifecta control, even though that's the one issue they supposedly all agree on. They actually passed a, a, a fixed Nix bill to expand the government surveillance state on us. Don't forget that, by the way and they lied to us and said they were going to use it for reciprocity, dropped the reciprocity, and only had to fix nicks. But rather than that, they could have hung this issue on their necks and said, you're worried about gun violence and blaming the guns while letting out the gun felons? This was always a slam-dunk issue. Everything we're doing is a slam-dunk issue. Not only is it morally the right thing to do, it's good politics. This is what is so frustrating Surveillance, privacy, people like that. Anyway, speaking of guns, by the way, um, I'm hearing there are still a few slots left for a constitutional defensive handgun course out at the NRA Whittington Center in Northeast New Mexico. So if you want to meet me, meet the audience, And really go through the best five-day defensive handgun training. This means you learn how to shoot out of the holster, how to properly draw, properly clear malfunctions, grip, sight alignment, trigger control. It is so much fun. The weather will be great. um, And I really look forward to seeing you guys there, courtesy of Rick Green and Patriot Academy. If you want to sign up, it's about $500 for the course. Join me, Rick Green and Patriot Academy, on May 22nd. Case we have about two a little bit more than two weeks left. Uh, you could still make plane tickets, or better yet, if you're able to drive, do that. PatriotAcademy.com slash Daniel. Hope to see you guys there with and fill up the remaining spots here. Um. So anyway, folks, this is why I can't get excited about other issues. They knew about COVID. They likely created it. And this is all a bioweapon. It, it, it is shocking the amount of data points we are seeing. It, it's just it's just a nightmare. This is from Joel Smalley. He is a researcher in uh the UK. He has some papers out. He found data from. I guess it's like uh with NHS, you know, the socialized medicine system there from University Hospitals Birmingham. They found and and look at the date, the timeline, an 87% increase in appointments for heart failure from July 2021 to March 2022. Again, this is yet another data point that the heart stuff took off, not in 2020. If it were COVID, it should have taken off then. But July 2021, kind of a few months into the critical mass of the shots to March 22nd. And again, what this demonstrates, what this demonstrates is that the acute myocarditis within the first few weeks is likely the tip of the iceberg for the long term heart damage and and i I know Peter McCullough, I, I was really the first to to talk about this, but Peter McCullough is pushing this a lot with the subclinical myocarditis. again, I mean, studies have shown from the FDA itself said that in the Pfizer approval document that you guys really need to study the sub. Clinical, but of course they didn't make them and they're not going to have it done until next year and I'm sure they won't have it done then either but it's 60 times more prevalent in, 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 at least in the past that has been shown um, with a smallpox vaccine than the clinical myocarditis so um, he, he believes it could be as common as more frequent than 1 in 20 when you add that in and I, I think the math shows that Folks, you're breaking the hearts of 1 in 20. It's insane. This is utterly insane. How how do we not jump out of our seats from this? We have the document from Pfizer now. The document of the vaccine is safe for pregnant women. Remember that? Nope. There are no or limited amount of data for the use of COVID-19 mRNA vaccine. Reproductive toxicity studies have not been completed. COVID 19 BNT yada yada yabadabadu is not recommended during pregnancy. For women of childbearing age, pregnancy should be excluded before vaccination. It is unknown whether COVID 19 BNT yabadabadu is excreted in the human milk. A risk to the newborn infants cannot be excluded. COVID-19 vaccine BNT abadabadoo should not be used during breastfeeding. Straight there. Do you know how many? It's probably, it's in the probably in the millions, if not hundreds of thousands in the world, breastfeeding and nurse and, and pregnant women that have gotten this. And Republicans supported and actively, viciously oppose anyone who's trying to block the shots. Again, Christy Nome, who's considered one of the better Republican governors, she is rooting out the legislators. I have this straight from, not just from the article, but I'm actually speaking to the legislators there. I know a bunch of them, a group of them in the House. The Senate's a toilet. Um, And part of that is because the governor has ensured that only jerks win. And this is happening everywhere. We are going backwards. I'm telling you, they're actually knocking off the few incumbents we have. Again, you're not going to hear any of this. This vision this thesis anywhere. And it's a shame. But let's just quickly go over, I have this in a column today, but just some of the latest facts. Just a few of the, every day, each one is an earth-shattering safety signal. It's genocide. It's bioterrorism. There is now a report out from Berlin Charité, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, uh, some German institution. They did a study. So their their equivalent of theirs is called the Paul Ehrlich Institute, PEI. It's a government agency or quasi agency, and they, that, that that's what PEI is responsible for the vaccine, you know, adverse events. And they found, based on their study, following up people with people with uh, you know complications, you know, finding out what they what happened to them after the shot, that the number of severe complications after vaccination. Is forty times higher than PI. So they found an underreporting ratio of forty, and and, and I want to say this forty for severe complications because the thought until now was maybe the forty, um, you know, because because an underreporting factor of forty one is what Steve Kirsch and Jessica Rose estimated a while ago. So this is very interesting. It it, it really corroborates researchers from a different country, different data, um, different you know health status, different genes, different vaccine curve, different COVID curves there. Uh, very interesting, almost exactly on the money. The thought was that might only be for, you know, non-severe, because, you know, it's not a, that's obviously not going to be as a report, but severe ones are going to be reported more often. No, under a reported factor of 40, they had 40,000 participants, so it's a pretty large sample size. And here's the money quote. They found that Eight out of a thousand struggle with serious side effects. Okay, folks, that's 0.8. That's almost a full percentage. That's not infinitesimal. That's almost a full percentage. But here's the point. Number one, that's only, um, I mean, it, it... they, they attempted to get a little bit long term I would say midterm but that doesn't it's certainly not going to rope in like all of the autoimmune and immune suppression and the long-term cancers there's no way they quantified that so it, it, it's not just total short term but didn't certainly didn't fully encapsulate what we cannot know but we what, but it's almost certain that if you have that degree of short-term problems and we know the poison of the LNPs and the spike and the gene therapy and um, all the Garbage that we know and don't know that's in it. There's no way. That it's not going to be even more than that. But let's just take that. Eight out of a thousand. But this is not a thousand people. So it's not just eight people. It was given to 179 million. Dose, 179 million doses. Were administered in Germany. Okay. Do you understand if you extrapolate. The rate of eight to a thousand severe incidents, that would add up to over two million people in the United States. Cause that would be, you know, if you do 08 percent of I, I forget, I don't I I did the math before, I don't remember. It's something like 260 million got the shots, got some version of it. Okay. And that that's that's not all the long term. Do you understand what that is? over 2 million people we did, did ha, have have serious events put another way if we apply the underreporting factor of severe adverse events in germany to theirs which you can't necessarily do maybe theirs is better but maybe not pretty reasonable so if you look at theirs now it it, it it's hard to it doesn't categorize serious adverse events so you have to match it up to what this German study was doing. But I'll give you two different options. One is those who checked into urgent care following the vaccine. So there's 99,537 reports on theirs. So it's close to 100,000 checked into an urgent care following the vaccine. If you multiply that by, by, um, for, by 40, that number could be close to 4 million. 4 million people. Okay? If you want to look at hospitalizations, there's 61,106. Again, this is just the U.S. Sometimes if you look at VAERS, you'll see uh, – if you go to open VAERS, um, you'll see even higher numbers. way in the hundred thousands. That's for all of international ones reported to VARES. I'm just looking at the U.S. so we could properly use the denominator of the amount of people and doses given in the U.S. So I'm using the lower number. 61,000 um, related hospitalizations, if you extrapolate that times 40 – that would work out to be just under 2.5 million hospitalized, and, and I could believe it. This is insane. And, and again, we're, we're starting to have grouping where the data is honing in from multiple countries, multiple age groups, multiple times on the same theme, the same ailments, the same data. What I find very satisfying about this is that an Israeli study showed 0.3% of Israelis um, for the booster were hospitalized within 30 days, and 0.5 had Bell's palsy. So to me, and then 4.5% had some degree of neurological side effects. So that jives very well with a 0.8 serious, right? Because remember, Israel's study was just boosters, only boosters. I think the Germans are adding everything, everything together, right? Anyone who experienced So that could be shot one, shot two, or shot three. So, you know, if the Israelis had a 0.3% hospitalization from the boosters, it's very, very much makes sense that you could have a 0.8. And again, the 0.8 is not just hospitalizations. It ropes in a little bit more serious, but maybe they didn't go to the hospital. Um, It gets a little murky. But the point is, these aren't just transient, okay, you had a kind of fever for a day. This is unbelievable. Nothing else matters. How do we not have the entire Republican Party yelping? We need, this needs to be suspended. We need to know everything, all the data right now, how to treat it, what to do about it, who to hold accountable. What other things are they doing that's like this? Okay. Where, where, where's the tracking system, the surveillance of data, you know, you know, they were tracking, like, Google searches to try to, like, see who had COVID. Well, why not track myocarditis searches and tinnitus searches and try to see how to... Quant- no. There is, to this day, despite all of these safety signals, no concerns. Let me throw more at you. There's a study out from Cyprus, from researchers in Cyprus, as well as um, uh, Denmark, titled Mortality in Cyprus over the period of 2016 to 2021. So they observed in 2021 in Cyprus, they observed nearly a 10% increase in all-cause mortality over 2020 and 16.5% over the mean mortality of the previous five years. And the pattern they noticed was the increased mortality was mainly in the third and fourth quarters perfectly aligning if you look at the vaccination curve in 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 Cyprus and they found that in 2020 and the first half of 2021 there was an increase in deaths and if you look at the reported recorded official covid deaths They almost perfectly align with the excess. So in other words, the COVID deaths pretty much accounted for the totality of the excess, as you would expect, because that's what would do it. But comes the second half of 2021, and in Cyprus, and the COVID deaths only account for about a third a third of the excess. And again, they they note in the study that if you look at the age brackets and you look at the timing, it perfectly aligns with the take up of the shots per age per time, not the ebb and flow of covid. And this is what we're seeing everywhere. And again, remember I just mentioned a couple of minutes ago that we had that the hospital system in Birmingham have an 87% increase in cardiac failure visits starting when July 2021 third quarter perfect alignment another thing perfectly aligning with this we talked about it a, a little bit before but the MIT Israeli study okay this is MIT study published in nature this is a this is all none this is not right wing blog stuff 25% increase in emergency medical services, calls and diagnoses by, by paramedics for both cardiac arrest and acute coronary syndrome. It's the blocking of, of blood flow, the heart, in 16 to 39-year-olds from January to May 2021 compared to previous years. They studied 2019, 2020, and 2021 because they wanted to get pre-COVID, then COVID pre-vaccine, and then COVID with the vaccine. And again... They found it was it was the vaccine, not COVID. It perfectly aligned both the trends. And again, Israel's take up was much earlier than Cyprus. Okay, Israel had the earliest take up in the world with Pfizer, exclusively Pfizer. So they experienced it earlier than anyone. And and they and they actually tracked it not just like in totality, but week by week. So and it flowed perfectly. And again, the important point here is that Israel has one EMS service for the entire country. So you have very uniform data. Very few other countries have that. It would be very hard to get uniform data for EMS in in, in our country. Shall I move on? You know... All over Australia, England, Germany. Google it. EMSs are struggling. They're flooded. Wait times. They're they're parked outside of hospitals. Have to sit in there, so people can't even get an ambulance. Then when they can, they can't get admitted to the hospital. They're getting flooded, and it's not. Now a lot of these countries are getting COVID worse, and that's that's the other problem with the shot. It's causing ADE and original antigenic sin, and and people are just getting sick from viruses or COVID or you know the the Omicron subvariants are are. Or whatever they are, are harming the vaccinated people and those, especially they're naive from infection. So a lot of these countries like New Zealand, New Zealand and Australia haven't uh, gotten COVID yet. So it's some of it, but it doesn't account for all of it. These sudden heart attacks, and again, the heart ailments you get from COVID is not a sudden heart attack. Like you start to get a cold and maybe some fever, and then you have a heart attack. I'm not saying it never happened, but it's not. It's mainly the people that first is the, then the pulmonary. They go to the hospital, and the final stage of COVID in the real severe cases, it starts to be to affect the heart. That would be in the ICU. You know, that's not your sudden chest pain, sudden heart attacks. That's the shot. The Queensland Health Minister, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, says that none of her experts can complain, explain what she says. Direct quote: "A sudden." increase in code one heart attacks, chest pains, respiratory issues. She calls it historic, the problem they're having there. It's not COVID. And she's not even saying it's COVID. She's saying she doesn't know what it is. You have a 28% increase in deaths in Iceland for the first quarter of this year over the previous five years. Australia's uh, 22% increase in deaths. After all of them have three shots. Iceland, Australia. So either if you're going to tell me it's COVID, then that means that you have negative efficacy against COVID. Or it's causing heart ailments directly. Either way, the shots are killing people. So I don't know what to tell you guys. That's why I can't get off this issue. Name me the amount of Republican elected officials anywhere in the country pushing this. Again, this is why if you have two avenues, one avenue where in some states you're going to prevent elective abortions, but they're all going to go to blue states, versus them mandating abortions on adults, on kids, on born people. I, I can't get excited about the former, given the latter. I'm sorry. That's how times have moved on. We have bioterrorism going on. And then, of course, there's the blocking of treatment, which I want to get, in, get to our next guest before we run out of time. So, folks, part of our discussion as to how you could be for whole life, right? The life issue is not just about are you for abortion or against abortion? A lot of people are talking about that issue this week, but there's a broader issue that nobody's talking about. What do you do in America where you cannot no longer get proper treatment? If, if you want a certain treatment that you feel is gonna help you, and we're not talking about voodoo, we're talking about FDA-approved drugs, You can't get it. And certainly we've talked about this a lot for a year and a half with COVID, but I feel it's reverberating even with cancer treatments and many other things. And this issue still has not been rectified. In a couple of states, we have gotten laws passed. Um, In Tennessee, we even made ivermectin over the counter. In other states, a few others, we have protected the licenses of doctors. But in the majority of states, this is still a problem. And our next guest is, is a truly egregious example of this, where she had her license suspended for actually trying to save lives. So while you have all these doctors that refuse to treat, they get on cable news, and they're treated with such honor, and they allow people to die, they get a 70-year-old Patient with diabetes calls up and says, hey, I just tested positive for COVID. Hey, drop dead. Wait until you can't breathe. Go to the hospital, and we got some uh, remdesivir and a ventilator waiting for you. Those guys were the heroes. But the people who had nothing to gain except for saving lives, they had their licenses taken away, and there's a lot of people. And I really wanted to touch on this because this is one of the most important action items that needs to be dealt with. Um, at a political level, and in my view, it's the most important pro-life issue. So Dr. Meryl Nass, uh, she is one of the patriot doctors I've been meaning to get on for a while. She's practiced internal medicine in Maine for many years. Uh, She earned her bachelor's in biology from MIT and her MD from the University of Mississippi in 1980. So she's been practicing medicine for quite a long time. She was, again, recently suspended by the state of Maine for treating basically treating with effective treatments. Um, incidentally, she's also a leader in the treatment of Gulf War Syndrome and studying its connection with the anthrax vaccine. I don't know if we'll have time today, but that's something you're definitely going to want to check out. MerrillNassMD.com is her website. So that's M-E-R-Y-L-N-A-S-S-M-D.com. She also has a great sub stack uh, where she writes a lot about COVID and other issues you want to check out. Um, So there's a lot of experience here. She's an expert on bioterrorism, truly a terrific guest. Dr. Nass, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me, Daniel.
0: Well, I've been meaning to get you for a while. I was as outraged as as everyone. So before we talk about the state going after you, could you discuss a little bit just your experience throughout the pandemic, the timeline, what you were using roughly, and the success of your regimen in in helping people get through this virus?
1: Um, So at the beginning of the pandemic, I, you know, was a general internist, but because I had a background in biological warfare and in epidemics, and have consulted for the World Bank and, and the Director of National Intelligence and other organizations like that, I paid close attention to what was going on with the pandemic and started writing recommendations and my analysis. Um, and, you know, became pretty quickly by the beginning of March, 2020, very concerned about the manner in which the federal government was responding to the pandemic. And I also as a physician was looking for treatments and uh, learned that the Chinese were using chloroquine, uh, they had 20 different clinical trials of the chloroquine drugs going on in China. And then um, a famous, very fam- the most famous infectious disease doctor in France, uh, Didier Raoult, uh, was using it as well in France. So I became aware of that drug uh, the beginning of March and s- started writing about it and then learned after a w- few weeks that actually the U.S federal agencies had investigated use of chloroquine as a treatment for SARS-1, which was an earlier similar coronavirus, um, and they had published papers in 2014 and 2005 showing that it certainly worked in vitro to kill deadly coronaviruses, SARS-1 and and MERS. So I um, advise people, it's, it's a drug that I've used myself, on myself, and for a lot of patients with Lyme disease, as well as with rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. And my son, became, who, was, who was a physician who was working at a New York City hospital, became ill with COVID in March of 2020. And I insisted that he take um, hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin, which was the combination being used in France. And uh, although he was very sick for a few days, he got very quickly better after three days and was completely over it by about six days and had no, no complications. Um, that was just an N of one. Um, so it didn't really mean too much, but it seemed that, and other people have suggested later, that it is lo- once you get a sufficient blood level of the chloroquine drugs or perhaps ivermectin and, or fluvoxamine and some other drugs, Uh, may take a few days to build up to that blood level, but chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin have long half lives. Once you take it, it stays in your system. It's it's high blood, high levels in the lungs and in some other organs. Um, And usually you will get over COVID very quickly. So um, my experience later with the drugs was that they worked very well. The earlier you started them, the better off you would be. And Almost nobody. There were I did have a very small number of patients who required hospitalization when they took these drugs, but very few.
0: Got it. So so you felt it was working for you, and obviously you've been a doctor for for four decades, and you know you've always used FDA approved drugs. There was never a problem. You're always able, able to prescribe. And suddenly, there's a war on on these drugs. So, how did you get into hot water with the with the main government?
1: So, um, there were very odd things happening. A lot of different odd things to suppress chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine initially, um, including a an art a fabricated article in the medical literature in the world's top medical journal, The Lancet. That was published in, uh, on May 22nd, 2020, claiming that if you took chloroquine drugs for COVID, you had about a 30% higher risk of death. And um, many states stopped allowing doctors to use it or put various limitations on it in the US. And other countries put limitations. France, for instance, made it, uh, it had been an over the counter drug in France, and in January of 2020, Suddenly, France made it a prescription drug. and And then the entire stockpile owned by the French government located in one warehouse in Paris disappeared. Um, so there were just many bizarre things happening. The WHO was calling up uh, health ministries in different countries and advising them to stop people from using the chloroquine drugs. And this was document that was documented by Reuters in Indonesia, for example. Um, once Trump said the chloroquine drugs were good, then the use of chloroquine was equated by many Americans as being equivalent to drinking bleach, which is really odd because it's a drug that chloroquine, over 60 years, licensed in the U.S. and hydroxychloroquine, about 40, 45 years, licensed in the U.S. Used, I I use it, you know, probably every few weeks I was giving a prescription to a patient. Um now, ivermectin was a little less used because it was a parasitic drug, so it was used widely in in developing countries. There have been over three, bil- 3 or 4 billion doses of ivermectin used in the third world, and Merck, which had originally developed the drug from a bacterial product, had donated billions of doses to try to combat river blindness. Yep. The former head of Merck said, we will continue to donate this drug until river blindness has been eradicated. So Merck has been donating the drug for about 30 years, and now suddenly Merck says we don't know if it's safe.
0: Yep, yep. So all these, all these things, especially hydroxy and ivermectin, they're literally the antithesis of the drugs and therapies they are approving, right? All those things are novel, dangerous mechanisms of action, many safety signal problems, all that. And this stuff is really the dream type of drugs you'd want, very established, particularly distributed, you know, randomly often and in and, and, and mass, which is exactly what we needed. Praised, both drugs have been praised. Awesome. Okay, so now you would think you'd you'd get a, get an award from the governor So what happened, what what, what was, how did the suspension come about? It was from the state licensing board?
1: Yes, so um, as I said, many odd things happened to suppress these drugs, and one of those odd things was the Federation of State Medical Boards and some other medical organizations, including the American Medical Association, came out with sort of policy statements in um, July, August, and September of last year saying that doctors should not spread misinformation about COVID. Um, They should not encourage the use of these drugs. They should definitely not encourage vaccine hesitancy. um, And that any misinformation or disinformation put out by doctors could be published with loss of license or loss of their specialty certifications. Now, the organizations putting out these policies actually were not in control of licensing. They, the state has, uh, you know, authority to license a doctor or take a license away. But they, one of these organizations was the Federation of State Medical Boards, which provides assistance to state medical boards with policies, training, and other things. And this organization tried to get its 71 member boards to go after doctors for misinformation, for vaccine hesitancy and and for using these drugs. And a small number of state boards agreed with them. They bit and they started investigating doctors for these things. Well, I know what the law is, I know what my First Amendment right is, I know that prescribing these drugs off label is something that happens all the time and has been, you know, I'm in my forty one years of practicing medicine, there's never been a problem with it. So I wrote to the board and I asked them what their statutory authority was to um, prevent doctors from using these drugs and uh, how to, what their authority was regarding misinformation. There's the, in, in my state, there is no rule, regulation or law that prohibits me from saying anything I want to say, as long as it's you know, not harming people. Well, they didn't respond to me, but I'm sure that that uh, may may or may not have been the first thing that put me on their radar. Mm. And even though there has only been one complaint to a medical board in my 42 years before before then, it'll be 42 uh, years around June 1st, um, somehow the board got four complaints over uh, about two months. Two or three month period, all of a sudden, one was from a doctor saying, This doctor used hydroxychloroquine, and another, This doctor used ivermectin. So the complaints were. were not any of them patients. patients? No, no patients' complained. <laughs> that is the one. So, and these, the, the doctors didn't even say that I harmed the patients by giving them these drugs, just that I shouldn't have done it. And uh, you one of them even said, wow. Yeah, if, if you see something, you're supposed to say something. So, Again, the doctors have been encouraged by, you know, federal and state agencies to basically rat out other practitioners if they are not going along with the current, you know, federal narrative. Yeah. Um, So 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 what happened next? So what happened next is I was informed, you know, I had uh, the board subpoenaed records of these two patients that had gotten these drugs and i self-reported to the board of a problem so they had the the board of pharmacy and the board all these boards had basically without issuing rules or regulations because those would not have been legal they made everybody aware at all the pharmacies and doctors and you know, everyone else, aware that if they started prescribing or dispensing these drugs, they would be investigated and they could lose their license. So pharmacies, even though these are these are legal drugs licensed for decades, pharmacies became af- afraid to dispense them. And some pharmacies even made it a pol- one pharmacy chain made it a policy they weren't going to dispense hydroxychloroquine, for example. And so it became harder and harder to get these drugs. You could, it it got to the point where only compounding pharmacies would dispense ivermectin. And I only knew of one or two pharmacies in my state that were willing to dispense hydroxychloroquine under threat, under this veiled threat, never put in writing, nothing in black and white, but everybody knew they could get in trouble if they did it. So I had a patient who was a very high risk patient. He had already gotten ivermectin and I had told him, In my state, it was legal. The board had put out an instruction that I could prescribe hydroxychloroquine acutely for COVID, but I couldn't prescribe it ahead of time. Couldn't prescribe it for prevention. So I told them, as soon as you get COVID, you know, call me and I'll prescribe the hydroxychloroquine for you at that point. And I did. But the pharmacies have been instructed to ask, Again, I haven't found it in black and white, but I think they got an actual memo from the state telling them to inquire about what the reason was. Yep, the diagnosis. So uh, although I'd called in the script, I hadn't called in a diagnosis, hoping they wouldn't ask me because this is, you know, this was an impediment to getting the patient the drug. But the pharmacist called me back and said, what's the diagnosis? And I knew if I said COVID, the patient would not get the hydroxychloroquine. I knew he was at risk of death from COVID. And so I thought about it. I realized it, I could be investigated for this or I, you know, I could not do the best for the patient. So I lied to the, I had to tell a white lie to the pharmacist. I said I was prescribing it for Lyme disease for mm. which it's appropriate. And he filled the prescription. And then I I explained all this to what was going on to the patient and his wife. And, but then I thought, you know, nobody else should ever be put into the position of having to worry about their license versus the patient's life. Exactly. And so I immediately wrote to the board of medicine and I said, you and the board of pharmacy by issuing these sort of vague instructions to people, have placed people like me in a position of having to make this choice and it is an untenable choice this is something you have to fix it's not proper you know these are legal drugs and so certainly at that point they went after me wow. and so that was the fit they were delighted with that because there there is a law that you're not allowed to lie you know in profession to other professionals and so they're ah now we've got her
0: yeah, and the, uh, even, even though the pharmacist director, can practice medicine.
1: Right, exactly. So they put the pharmacist in a position forcing them to practice medicine and forcing them to lose money, you know, not filling prescriptions. Now, how did, how did these state and federal agencies get all this power? Well, probably because of all the money that has been dispersed to businesses and to other agencies which have strings attached. Yep. And the strings are often... You have to follow the guidance that we issue, even guidances in the future. you sign on to get this money you know in twenty twenty yep. and if, and if we issue you a guidance that says you know you have to not not dispense or whatever you know you must not say anything nasty about the vaccines. don't tell the truth you you have to go along with it or else you have to give us all our money back
0: wow wow so so what's the current state of play um Are you battling this legally? Are you going to move to a different state? You know, this is pretty hard. After four decades, they took away your license. What's the status of that?
1: Well, you know, my... Where I'm coming from is I didn't... The only slightly illegal thing I did was to tell the white lie to the pharmacist, which is... There is law that there's a necessity defense, which is, in order to save a life, if you have to do something minor like that, you're supposed to do it. And I also have oaths that I have taken as a physician to only be concerned about the patient and yeah. not about the licensing board. So, And it's
0: not like they had another drug at the time where even in their mind they, that you could have used.
1: Right. Exactly. The uh, the uh, monoclonals were not really working at that point And it was too late in the, actually it turned out later that it was later in the course of his illness than I realized. Um, but um, in any event, <laughs> the patient didn't even wind up taking the hydroxychloroquine. After all was said and done, um, later it turned out all the pills were still in the bottle. Mm. Got it. Uh, and then the patient got did get very ill, did get hospitalized, did wind up on a ventilator, and finally, thank God, survived and is doing well.
0: Okay. Wow. So, so, um, for you, is this the end of the road or are you fighting it?
1: So, yeah, I'm, so I'm fighting it because I don't think that legally the board has a leg to stand on. The problem is that the, the, the way you fight it is you go, you have to go to a board hearing and the board ordered a psychiatric exam on me, a neuropsychological exam. They ordered, um, I have to answer a lot of questions about my practice. They want a list of all my patients and they want to go after more of my charts to see if they can find something that they can actually pin on me that sure. might stick. So um, it's a long process. Right now I have a hearing uh, scheduled for September. And then after that, you know, I may appeal to the courts. Um, it's it's going to be a long, expensive, um, uh, arduous process. And I'm not the only one. It turns out that there were hundreds of uh, medical professionals in Michigan that are being investigated by their board right now. Michigan is one of the other states that, that uh, with alacrity, decided to take up what the Federation of State Medical Boards recommended. And they're going after life. There are several other doctors yep. in state that are being investigated and that have had um, their license suspended or they're in the process for
0: for, for simply practicing medicine the way it's always been done when they had no other option and the option you presented were things that you know you could say oh no I don't know maybe it doesn't work as well okay but nobody could disagree that they're safe and they're approved fine Uh, we only have a couple minutes left and I sorry leaving you not much time here but I want to juxtapose this to the other half of the equation. What do they want to use? So yeah. I thought a year ago, if you would have told me remdesivir would still be on the market, I, I wouldn't believe you. It just—it was obvious. It was never—it wasn't working for people, especially not at the stage they were using it. Um, and even the NIH itself admitted that it had a potential to cause liver toxicity and um, renal failure. Uh, it, it was always considered a dangerous mechanism of action. It's unbelievable. But not only didn't they pull it, they expanded it to 30-day-old babies, as young as 30 days old. Could you uh, share with our audience what you discovered about the the wealth of information behind uh, the clinical research, behind, the, behind that decision?
1: Okay. Um, yeah, it's a— Dangerous drug in all the clinical trials where it was used, people died, and the NIH in adults was never able to show efficacy. They claimed that it showed people left the hospital earlier, but in fact, many of those people bounced back and and required readmission. So they were being discharged too soon, probably in order to make the drug look like it had some efficacy. Um, the uh, NIH trial that led to its licensure initially in 2020 had to have its um, endpoints. The the goalposts were changed twice in order to help this drug to look like it did something. Well, what happened about a a week ago is that FDA expanded the license of this drug to to babies um, seven pounds and up, practically newborns, and the And the data they used was, it wasn't even a clinical trial. It was basically observational data that they obtained over a year and a half from 37 different centers in only 53 children. It looks like they they kept expanding the number of centers that were uh, working for Gilead, finding doctors who would give a child remdesivir. And in a year and a half, it seems like they could only find doctors to give it to 53 children. And of these 53 children, three died. There was an earlier trial in in, uh, Latin America. They gave it to 77 children and four died. Um,
0: So three died. How many had serious adverse events?
1: uh, 72% had a serious adverse event, which you can't tell from the available data. They haven't published this data yet. You can't tell from what you can find whether that was due to remdesivir or not.
0: Um, well, but, well, what happened in the but, control group?
1: So there
0: was no control group. No control group. So, so you you lost your license after forty one years for prescribing something that won a Nobel Prize uh, because of its its you know safety, uh, broad spectrum action, and yet they're approving a standard of care for babies who aren't even in need of of COVID treatment. You know, uh, something that there's no control group. 53 sample size, and from what we can see, there seem to have been some problems.
1: (laughs) Yes, I mean, it's really absolutely remarkable. Both ivermectin and chloroquine are on the WHO's list of essential drugs. These are drugs that every country is supposed to make available to people because they're so valuable. You know, they, they have so much activity and they're safe. And yet, these are the drugs, because they work for COVID, um, that have been suppressed in the United States. And so those are cheap drugs. You can buy them in a third world country for about a dollar for a course. Um, Here in the United States, remdesivir for a five-day course in the hospital is $3,000. The Paxlovid and malnupiravir, which both have been shown to have poor efficacy of maybe 30% and have a lot of terrible side effects, um, they run about seven hundred dollars and up for a yep. an outpatient course
0: follow the money
1: the those, right and the monoclonal antibodies which no longer work they were also uh several thousand dollars a couple thousand dollars for a course so um basically people in the united states now most americans are not paying that Money. The federal government is using your tax dollars to pay.
0: But the important thing is that the companies get their money, so then it's okay. There's no amount of sample size, control group, safety. It's all good. Whereas if the if it's too cheap and there's no money to be made off of it, and you empower people to take care of their own health care, then there's no amount of studies, no degree of sample size, no amount of established safety profile that can make you use it, even though it's already FDA approved. Um, it is a very powerful juxtaposition. I'm sorry we have to leave it there. At some point, I'd love to bring you back to discuss bioterrorism and you know the military anthrax vaccine. Um, I really thank you for all your years of of. You know, medicine, and and we we're all praying for you that this works out and you get through this. And certainly, please, please keep us updated. Thank you. Take care. And folks, my heart really goes out to her. I mean, her story speaks for itself. It's not unique. It has uh, occurred throughout the country. And and this is one of the biggest action items. If if again, if you told me you could ban abortion or you could ban state licensing boards from banning doctors from practicing medicine and speaking out, um, I, I know which one to me, because I could avoid an abortion. I can't avoid that. If you, if you get sick, what are you, you going to do? What are you going to do? And it's not just COVID. This is expanding to everything. And it's not just prescribing. It's also going to be speaking out. It's going to be anything. This is a forced abortion regime where they fund, mandate, and censor their way into killing people. And on this issue, Republicans range from ambivalent to downright on the other side. Remember, Governor Kristi Noem in South Dakota worked with the Senate to block the House very weak, I would say, ivermectin bill um, to just protect doctors from prescribing. We couldn't even get that passed in South Dakota. Okay, so I have a very different perspective. Those of you who have worked with me and you, you, you know, have listened for a while, you could appreciate, I'm, I'm as anti-abortion as anyone, but this is just why, given the news of the week and everything, I just can't get excited about it. And people look at me like I'm from Mars, who are on the right, like, what do you mean, this is everything? I'm like, you obviously haven't lived in the real world You don't focus on what matters and the way it matters at the time it matters, but I can tell you we will. Um, Tomorrow we'll have a special show with Pedro Gonzalez, my buddy, just going to kind of shoot the moon on what's going on politically. Um, How do we start a new party? What do we do about Trump? more raw politics but again we have a lot more we've left on the table as always so follow me on twitter at arm conservative for my minute by minute blow by blow uh, musings um, subscribe to the show give us a five star rating on itunes till tomorrow god bless y'all and thank you for listening